0: Welcome to Fraser Basin Council's First Nations Home Energy Save podcast. I'm your host, Darla Simpson, coming to you from beautiful North Vancouver, British Columbia, traditional Squamish territory. This is our second podcast in the technical series, and today we'll be tackling the subject of new homes and specifically building envelope. Our guest today is Adam Travato. Adam, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi,
1: Darla, thank you. Um, My name is Adam Travato. I am an energy efficiency consultant in Alberta. And uh, over the last couple of years, I have spent a lot of time um, working with uh, new homeowners doing uh, code compliance as well as um, existing homeowners doing uh, residential energy audits, um, doing some solar PV um, feasibility studies and things like that. So uh, I've gotten a pretty good idea of what kind of problems people encounter with their uh, building envelope in particular, and uh, have come up with some some strategies and principles to look out for in uh, buying and designing new homes.
0: Excellent, and I guess our goal today isn't really to go over, it's not a course in building envelope, but really to go over the main components of building envelope and understand how they relate to energy efficiency, and especially for new construction, which is a big opportunity um, when we're talking about energy efficiency, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Maybe we can start with uh, some examples of why do building envelopes
1: fail? Um, yeah, building envelopes tend to fail for one of four reasons. Um, design deficiencies, um, you know things like thermal bridging, specifying the wrong material, um, you know not building with enough structural capacity. Um, material failure, which is you know can be related to des- design deficiencies or just materials coming living past their life um, expectancy, um, poor workmanship, which is, you know, goes without saying just buildings that are built improperly, you know, we've all seen, you know, countless examples of insulation missing in a wall, windows being too small or too big for the, for the fitting. So, those types of things, and then usually it's acts of nature that come and then highlight one of those other three things. So if something like rain is going to come and show a design deficiency in your roof, or potentially poor workmanship by your by your roofing contractor if they didn't, you know, use flashing over a vent or something like that. So. Envelopes really can fail for a variety of reasons, but it is usually fitting into one of those four boxes.
0: I think it's interesting because we can walk around our neighborhood, I think, if you're listening to this while you're out for a walk, and you can spot some of those design deficiencies where, you know, in addition to uh, like a carport addition, all of a sudden has the water draining directly onto the side of the house or you can spot the homes where especially roof roof lines have been designed poorly and and you know they're causing problems.
1: you hope when you when you bought a home or you or you rent a home or what what have you, you don't want to pay excess utility bills or deal with a drafty window or something just because your contractor didn't uh, build it right or because um, you know the equipment selection was wrong or something like that. so. It's uh yeah, there's a there's a lot to look out for and a lot of problems, but um, for the most part, there's solutions to everything, and we can we can find little checks and balances in the process of home building and home buying that make sure that we get the best possible home.
0: Building envelope plays a really big role in energy efficiency, with fifty percent of the average energy bill going towards heating. What are some of the big ideas we need to be familiar with when we're building new energy efficient homes? Well, yeah, like I think.
1: And that's a good point. Like it's 50% of the your home energy bill typically, um, but it's 64% of the emissions. So it is more uh, environmentally intensive to heat your home than it is to you know, light your home or use use electricity. So the savings that we make um, to our you know heating bill and a cooling bill saves you quite a bit in the pocketbook. So things like you know investing in good windows double pane or triple pane, those are really expensive to retrofit into a into a house after the fact it's been built but the you know the relative cost to get that energy efficient window is definitely going to pay off in the long run same with things like building out an extra r10 into insulation or potentially uh you know using a little bit of more high quality insulation um all those are going to play a major role in saving you money and you know saving greenhouse gas emissions.
0: You mentioned something in there that R value. Um, just for those who might not be familiar, can you can you explain to us what R value and U value are?
1: Yeah, R value is is essentially just a value a metric used to um, quantify the insulating value, and it's typically used for walls, ceilings doors and the higher the better so uh, homes used to be built you know r10 r18 r15 now you'll see most requirements upwards of r22 um, all the way up to r50 so and then u value is typically used for windows and that is um the lower the better so there are some things to to watch out for like if you do have a super well-insulated home, you're going to have to make sure that you have the proper ventilation to, uh, to deal with that, especially in, in regions that are a little bit more moist and coastal.
0: And I think that refers to something we use here in British Columbia, particularly in the step code, which is the climate zones. So there are specific R-value, U-value, and air change recommendations depending on your climate zone. I think it goes back to kind of the first part of our conversation if you if you want to know where you need to invest the money and where to be careful, check in your existing housing what's failing, and that'll give you a good indication of of what you need to focus on in your particular region because it does vary quite a bit across the province. oh
1: yeah, definitely, like you can't really you know have a bl- a blanket statement about what type of components or what type of wall assembly. To use in general, it's it's about creating a home that effectively combats the climate that you live in. It's all about uh, making sure that you address the the regional needs of your home.
0: And I think that's maybe a good segue to start talking about the different components of building envelopes and and really where we need to be focusing our attention to improve energy efficiency in new construction.
1: Whether you have a basement, uh, slab on grate, or crawl space type foundation doesn't make a huge difference in terms of energy efficiency, other than a basement gives you more living space and a smaller footprint. Um, Another important thing is that you have good insulation in the basement area. um, That will make uh, make it a more comfortable area to be in and uh, will require you to not heat the area as much. Other considerations around foundations are more about moisture management for your climate. So a good foundation is super important for the structural integrity of your home and needs to be properly built out. But as far as energy efficiency goes, uh, definitely a good quality insulation during construction will serve you well.
0: It sounds like this is one where it's, uh, the choices that you would make are really affected by your site and your ground conditions. And then just making sure that whatever you do build out that it's appropriate to manage the moisture and to keep out the cold, is that's you know moisture in basements I think is a very frequent problem.
1: So yeah, definitely location dependent. Um, not everyone's going to have the opportunity to have a basement.
0: Now walls are a bit more complex than we think about. We <laughs> very simplistic; it's just framing and siding, right? But it, that's not true. <laughs> um, and this is a big component of energy efficient homes. We lose we lose quite a bit of energy through the walls.
1: Yeah, definitely. And and that's this is probably like the main the main one where I'll say you have to really look at this one regionally. Like uh, there are so many different types of wall assemblies. There's you know, your conventional wall, um, which you know you just have your cladding, your sheathing, your insulation, um, then you have your split insulation, so having insulation outside like a in the exterior and exterior essentially the rain screen assembly um you have exterior insulation double stud double stud with a service wall so all these all these different assemblies have different pros and cons to them you know we've had building envelope engineers con you know carpenters um energy efficiency professionals really work hard over the last 10 to 15 years to come up with some creative wall assemblies that Mitigate things like um, mold and mitigate things like heat loss and all these issues that we deal with when when working with contractors or when you know training carpenters or contractors. It's important to make sure that we teach them the proper new ways to build a wall and the the pros and cons of it because in terms of the material selection and the actual uh, workmanship, it, it's not anything that's generally much different. It's just a different way of assembling a wall. Like the rain screen wall, for example, um, it just has uh, essentially a bi- an air gap or an air barrier to allow water to just run through and, and escape rather than your standard wall, which which doesn't have that space, which means that when when Water inevitably gets in the wall, which it almost always does. It has nowhere to go except for to, you know, embed itself in the insulation, or you know, in between the cladding and the, you know, your your sheathing. So there's was all sorts of um, different walls, different assemblies. It is the most complicated and probably the most critical part of effective building envelopes in in residential.
0: And I know that there's a lot of different opportunities for insulation in the walls and, uh, you know, going beyond the old pink fiberglass. What should we be looking at in terms of the insulation in the walls? Because that does directly correlate to the energy efficiency of the building, both for heating and for cooling in the summer.
1: Like we, we touched on, like you're going to want a certain level of R value associated with whatever insulation you choose. But there are different insulation types and different insulation methods that work better or worse with different wall assemblies. For example, an exterior wall assembly is going to have um, the insulation away from the studs anyway. So you're not going to deal with that thermal bridging. And then you but you may want to not use something like a fiberglass you might want to use something of more high quality like a you know a foam whether it be open or closed cell foam so there are different qualities of insulation that are better for different applications generally i would think like the fiberglass in the in the two by four wall best to take a look and see if there's a different way of approaching it just because that's a pretty old school way of doing it. That being said, it's not like fiberglass insulation is horrible and it's not like you can't build homes with, you know, two by four, two by six framing and put fiberglass. But if you're going to do that, you're going to make sure that you want to address thermal bridging as best you can by making sure you you insulate around those areas and make sure that potentially you try and you put in some high quality fiberglass insulation and make sure that it's really uh, installed correctly and double check on the design and the application that the uh, there is a place for moisture to go um, because that's the that's the problem with A lot of these wall assemblies that there's nowhere for water to go you're gonna want to make sure that you do pre and post drywall blower door tests because that will ensure that your contractor is held um, very accountable because you will be able to see with that test exactly where there is heat loss in the wall and then the, the, it's going to be on them to explain to you why there's a massive gap insulation in the wall that you just paid for them to insulate. So
0: we're going to talk a little bit more about contractors and ensuring quality, uh, quality installation a little bit later because that is a big component of this, especially when you can't, you know, specify this is exactly what we need. <laughs> Having that ongoing inspection and quality management. Um, there's an idea that you mentioned a couple of times there, the thermal bridging. And uh, I'm wondering if maybe our audience may or may not know what thermal bridging
1: is. Thermal bridging, we typically see, um, you know, in the interfaces of a um, of a building. So where two points meet, whether that be in a window or where the wall uh, meets the stud. So essentially, it's the movement of heat across an object. That is more conductive than the materials around it. So, the conductive material then creates a path of least resistance for the heat, and it's a major point of heat loss in the in the building. So, in two by four insulation homes, you know it, you'll see the insulation, right? So, if you if you picture a wall with the you know the paint, the drywall ripped off. You would just see that insulation and then the stud and then the insulation and then the stud well those areas aren't aren't insulated properly and it be, essentially becomes a vacuum for all the heat loss to go so
0: windows are another area where we'd see thermal bridging quite frequently
1: yes definitely around the edges of windows there's uh, a huge opportunity i'll say for the air that wants to get out of your house or into your house to to get there that's why one of the most important things about buying a window or installing a window is the actual the quality of the window which is going to be an important thing but it's going to be actually how well it's installed and how well it's sealed it's not just the quality of the glass and you know what the glass fill is and the thickness it's also going to be like quality of the frame and if you have an insulated frame so all of these things without the other are, are makes it sort of obsolete if you have a triple pane window with an awesome frame and it's it's the best window on the market and it's installed improperly, properly there's going to be air gaps and then you might as well just put a single pane window in but um Like I said, that's uh, U-value is only as good as the installation and making sure that it's uh, a compatible uh, window with the type of frame.
0: There's often ratings, Energy Star ratings on windows when we purchase them. So that's where we want to look for that low U-value, which is the conductive value of the window, which is typically, you know, your triple-pane argon-filled gas window is going to be a really low U-value, right? I think it brings us to another component of the building envelope that we maybe don't think about his building envelope, but gets a ton of wear and tear and is another one of those places where it's just a huge vacuum for cold air to come into our spaces. And that's the doors. So is there, you know, a door is a door or is there a lot of room here for, for energy efficient options?
1: From an energy efficiency standpoint, most people buy their doors and don't think about energy. They, they think about making their house look really nice because the door is what everyone walks into. And, Uh, is what everyone sees when they drive by your house. Generally speaking, wood, fiberglass, steel and glass are the four types of of doors that we we encounter. Um, Most people tend to not have glass front doors just from a safety standpoint, but some do. Um, Glass is gonna be your least thermally effective door. Steel doors are super safe and probably the best from an insulation standpoint. If you buy a high-quality steel insulated door, they're also super expensive and and not typically used in residential applications. You know, wood wood is wood. It's you know, people like the way it war- it looks. Um, wood is really prone to warping, so you know that that's going to create thermal problems and that's gonna you're gonna have to make sure as your wood warps that you you know get seals and sweeps um, and make sure everything's under control from that standpoint but wood is is cheap and it looks nice and you can paint it whatever color you want and it's it's good and then fiberglass is probably the, the recommended door in terms of just uh, checking all the boxes. It's durable. It's a little bit more expensive than wood, but it's not It's not cost prohibitive. It has better thermal performance than wood. And um, it's going to stand up really well to any sort of weather for the most part. So,
0: And I think one of the energy efficiency design principles, not that we want no light coming into the building, but one of the big principles is if you're going to put in a glass window, it should be a larger window, and then, you know, one larger window is better than three smaller windows and then having them south facing so that you can get that solar gain in the summer or in the winter, excuse me, to heat the building. And then if you can, some solar shading in summer, so that if you don't want the heat, uh, you've got either an awning or an overhang or even trees out front to help block some of that light coming in.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and that's that's exactly and, you, and, you, and with that large window you wouldn't necessarily lose the light in the daytime. All things to consider. They, you can you can use them all. Um, I'm, I like my house at like a nice 18, 19 degrees. So in the summer, I'm I'm constantly working with my building envelope to keep heat out during the day and let cool in during the night. And and the interaction between <laughs> ventilation and building envelope are so important and and one of the benefits of building your building envelope um to the highest r value um and just sort of the the highest overall thermal performance is you can um you can reduce the size of your of your hvac your your heating and ventilation system and your furnace so uh, even if you did create a home that you didn't need there to be heated, you would still need ventilation. And uh, that's something that, that people don't often think about is the ventilation requirements are, are not related necessarily to the heating requirements of a building, even though those systems are, are intricately uh, connected in most cases. So um, ventilation is it's super key. And when it comes to building envelope, the the way often the solutions to building envelope problems tie into ventilation like if you see a um, a foggy window in your in, in a washroom or something like that or even in your in your living room it's often something that the solution is going to be either a dehumidifier or a um, adding ventilation a fan so yeah that just sort of shows that the interaction between the building envelope and the, the HVAC system is is something that is really critical in, in building design in general.
0: This is one of the big themes we touched on in our first podcast, which was buildings as a system. And it's how all of these building elements are really nested, or there's a bit of a hierarchy. So. environment that your building is being built in and then the structure of your building how the, the form that it takes and then the envelope and the hvac and they all kind of nest in each other but they interact and understanding how they interact is really important to making sure that the whole building the whole home functions really well
1: so it becomes this sweet spot to to still check the boxes of what your priority is because i understand that people don't build and buy homes or buildings just because of the way they perform thermally uh, or from an energy efficiency standpoint. But the operating costs of a building and the environmental impact of a building uh, matter and they're important. And and furthermore, energy efficiency is generally synonymous with a high quality building, a clear justification for, for building energy efficient and for uh, looking at these things upfront, especially uh, the financial case is huge uh, when it comes to uh, investing in energy efficiency when you're building a new home or a new building because it's just so expensive to, like like we've talked about, to to fix a wall is so expensive, but to build it outright relative to building it out wrong is such a marginal cost increase because, the main, the main things you're paying for with your wall are labor and the materials. And a properly assembled wall doesn't take a ton more labor and the materials are very similar. They're just assembled in a little bit of a different way and there might be an, one extra component, but for the most part, it's, it's these building envelope improvements are, are really expensive to change but there's but the marginal cost increase up front is is well worth the uh, the investment.
0: Sometimes the most telling piece, speaking about quality construction, is the wall penetrations. So anytime you have to have a pipe or a vent or something moving through the wall, that's you know, potential for thermal bridging. It's also often a really important indicator of how good your contractor is when they're paying attention to those details, what should we be watching for or really asking for in new construction to make sure that those wall penetrations are well insulated as well?
1: Yeah. So most of the wall penetrations or penetrations in general that you'll see, well, not most, but, but a lot of the more problematic ones tend to be on the roof um, just based on the nature of, of rain and snow. And that's why you'll see, In a lot of homes, the most problematic areas of leaking will be through like ceiling fans and skylights, things like that, because they're just exposed to all those elements and they are areas where the the roofing material, like your asphalt, your wood shingles, they're going to go around. So a good quality installation of of a roof in this example you're gonna to need to see flashing, proper sealing. More than likely, you're gonna to wanna to see your roofing contractor take a hose up there and do some some spot checks to make sure that it's flowing out um, off the roof into the eavesdrops and then into a, a safe location away from your basement. And then the, furthermore, there's things like rain screens, even like rodent protectors, like they're, it, it, goes back to what we chatted about earlier um, where it's, it's a regional thing. So, and, and, the thing about these penetrations, they they're, they're throughout your house, like your electrical meter, your natural gas meter there, you know, anything that's coming into your house is, is going to require it electrical. So all these things, you need to make sure have a, have a protection of some sort around them. And um, furthermore, you're going to want to make sure that those areas are also um, equipped with the same insulation because you don't want, you know, you don't want there to be just some gap because um, you'll see that often with electrical is there's, there's areas where there's huge missing points of of insulation because there was some utility work or something and it got pulled out or removed uh, or moved around and then they don't put it back. So then they, they seal up your wall and you've got some electrical moving through. Mm-hmm. And then now all of a sudden there's a big insulation gap.
0: And I think we're going to talk about this a fair bit in our next podcast as well. This caulking and sealing, repairing, flashing, that that also speaks to really good maintenance practices that help to improve energy efficiency. But there was an idea you touched on there that I want to kind of follow up on, and that's that's quality control. I love the idea that had never occurred to me of having my roofing contractor go up and actually rain test <laughs>
1: Most contractors really do a good job, and most of them are more than happy and usually initiate these good practices um, but it's just things you want to you want to look out for and and maybe push a little bit if if they're not doing it in the first place there are a lot of strategies that, that you can take, whether it be you know a blower door test you'll know, you'll hire a, a residential energy advisor or or someone who, ha- who has a blower door certification and they'll come to the home and they will hook up a a piece of equipment called the blower door, which is essentially a, a big giant fan that you strap to the door and then you you put the building under negative pressure. And what that does is since there becomes a huge pressure differential between the outside of the house and the inside of the house, you pull out your thermal imaging camera and essentially all those areas that I keep referring to as vacuums. So those areas that uh, become uh, heat loss hotspots, those areas become during this this test, this blower door test, they become even. You know, it, it emphasizes the vacuum nature of them. So the heat just funnels out of those areas, and then as you take your blower door or your your thermal imaging camera, it will. Uh, it will show all those areas and they'll be super vibrant on the camera. So you'll see, oh, wow, on the edge of that window, there's so much heat loss. The the re, The real key thing about it is it will show areas of heat loss. So anytime there's unexpected heat loss or anomalies. So I was in a house once and we were running a blower door exam and uh, an entire wall was uninsulated. And it was obviously not by design, and we thought the thermal imaging camera was broken because it was showing what we thought it was showing, but, but what 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 it was was there was literally zero insulation. So the contractor must have ran out of insulation and thought he could get away with it, or um, or I, or he forgot. I don't I don't know how you could forget. Oh, to ins- one-fourth of the building but um, so then all of a sudden he's like oh yeah the homeowner goes, well yeah it it has been awfully cold in the winter so that makes sense and you think well yeah I I guess uh, you know I guess you wouldn't think that my wall had no insulation in it like you would you would have to be some pretty cynical person to think that your house that you just bought has no insulation in one of the walls but that that is what we discovered. So um, to get those, to get the blower door test done um, pre-drywall and post-drywall is gonna is gonna allow you to see the most benefit um, because pre-drywall will allow you to identify those design deficiencies. Um, because everything's gonna be open. So you'll be able to see, okay, everything, everything looks like it's been installed well. Um, But if you start seeing you know huge problems um, then you can address them immediately post drywall that's when you come back and you see essentially if everything was done right and and that's how you really hold your contractor accountable because you were you were on site before and you saw the way it was if all of a sudden there's problems in areas that there weren't problems the first time or or areas that you wanted resolved, aren't resolved, then you can really highlight that and ensure that those areas are resolved before they uh, you know, pack up their tools and, and leave the site. So the other thing you can do is hire a third party to review the designs and make sure that they're addressing the concerns, the local concerns. So in a coastal area, it's, it's probably worth the couple, the couple thousand bucks if you're building or buying 20 homes to grab a third party building envelope engineer and say, hey, we've been dealing with mold in our walls for the last 15 years in all our residential homes. Is this wall assembly going to deal with that? And if it uh, if it is, what are uh, the things I need to look out for on site to make sure that this is done properly? Um, and then that that individual is, is usually a pretty effective resource because they're there just to make sure that that problem, what in this case, mold in the walls is being addressed in in the design. And finally, around warranties. You know, everything you buy from a component standpoint and even uh, contractors, consultants, you you make sure there's warranties in place. So um, you want your contractors to have workmanship warranties. You want your components that are buying to have material quality warranties. And I'm not necessarily suggesting you buy the souped up warranty package with everything you buy, but just making sure that there's some checks and balances that to ensure that the workmanship uh, on site is is to the standard that you pay for and that uh, the materials that you buy, um, that those companies are accountable for the performance of them if they're operated effectively.
0: So just to sum up, make sure that your materials have warranties? Are warranties appropriate to the lifetime of the materials. Make sure that there's accountability in, with your contractors so that if something is not performing as specified or as intended that, that they're going to come back and fix it. And then making sure that we're doing blower door tests both pre-drywall and post-drywall. And this is probably a good opportunity to point out that in the resource package accompanying this podcast there's some pictures of uh, thermal imaging from blower door tests that are, that'll help you see how valuable it is to have those blower door tests done. The other thing I would add in terms of quality control is I actually really like having maintenance staff come on site to do the walkthroughs for some of those quality control inspections. Not only is it a great capacity building opportunity, they're learning about the new construction. It's going to help them maintain it better, but they're the guys that are seeing all the problems in the buildings post-construction, and so they're they're often really quite good at identifying some of those issues that may pop up later.
1: Yeah, definitely, and and it uh, empowering those people. Like you don't want there to be combative interactions on site between you know housing departments and and contractors, but empowering the the maintenance folks and the people who who have been dealing with the problems, uh, the local problems, and to say no, 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 like we've been dealing with this for you know this these this wall assembly is what's been causing us problems for the last 20 years like we need um, we need this to be resolved or, or we're just going down this this road again empowering those people to come forward with their you know even if they are just sort of anecdotal experiences with with certain types of wall assemblies certain types of windows uh even you know certain you know if if you've had problems with uh, we chatted the other day, and, and there's a, a group. They were having problems with steel roofs, um, and and screws coming up. So those problems can can really help guide the contractors into what to do on site and what to what to make sure the homes are built out to avoid. So empowering those maintenance staff to to come forward with the things that they think are relevant and to to look at things critically is is important, and it will only ensure that the contractors are are held a little bit more accountable to build to build out uh, to the specification that the community wants, not that the contractor wants. And uh, like you said, it's it's a great capacity building opportunity, and hopefully, um, the contractor and that individual can can learn from one another. Um, and and work together rather than, you know, have it be, uh, you know, a combative, uh, it doesn't have to be a combative conversation or interaction. It can be a, a, a learning experience for both sides.
0: Adam, we've touched on it a couple of times, but Often when we're building, especially new construction, the dollar value becomes some of the deciding factor uh, in what kinds of materials or how far we can go with our homes. So if I have to make decisions about where to invest my dollars, we already talked about how it's much easier to invest in these things up front during construction rather than trying to retrofit them down the road. If I have to make decisions, what should I be investing
1: in? Well, okay, so if if you have to make investments and you know like i said it's it's all contextualized so there's no definition in terms of like components of a of a good building envelope but there are ways especially there are general areas that are always going to be cost effective to look at when it when you're looking at building the new home in this case adding insulation is an area that not only does it have a huge impact on the heating and cooling bill of the home. It's also, as mentioned several times, so expensive to uh, fix or add to. You basically have to rebuild the wall. Windows, another area that's so expensive, like replacing windows is so expensive, but the relative cost increase to go from single to double or double to triple is is not that significant that um, from an energy efficiency standpoint, it it pays off. almost all the time, but from like a building performance and thermal comfort, it's it's well worth the investment.
0: And one of the things that we're very fortunate to have here in British Columbia is a lot of incentives to support more energy efficient housing, and even in new construction. So really recommend that folks um, either go visit the Clean BC website and see what's available to them, but also working with your contractor, because contractors can often give you uh, comparisons, and different options, and then you could make an informed choice about how efficient you want to go, what the incentives that may be available to you, and then uh, you know, that does have a big impact as well on affordability, which is another concern in a lot of our communities. The ongoing utility costs can, have, uh, can be significantly lower if we do some of these uh, marginally more expensive investments early on. Adam, I understand you've prepared a bit of a case study for us comparing the upfront costs that we invest when we build the building versus the ongoing costs and the savings. So I'm going to ask people to refer to that table because it's got a ton of information. Um, But what are the big takeaways from your perspective that we need to be thinking about?
1: As an example, if we took something like insulation um, and you took a standard wall, something like an R18 fiberglass wall and compared it to a more high-end wall, like an R50 closed foam cellulose, um, the closed foam cellulose is going to cost you about four times as much. Um, So let's say about fifteen hundred dollars more on an average home. So, um, you know, if you look at that um, in isolation, um, it's not great. But when you consider the fact that um, you're going to save about 40% of your annual heating bill with the higher-grade wall. Um, that In this example, that would save you about $600 a year. So you would make up that $1,500 uh, initial investment in, uh, you know, less than three years. So um, considering the insulation isn't going to be touched for another 20 to 25 years, you'll see cost savings for uh, a significant period of time as well as uh, a more comfortable, better insulated home. Although this case is mostly focusing on the financial, anytime the financial case is better, it also is synonymous with a better performing building and a more comfortable building. So, yeah, this case is meant to just show how much money you can save by building out your installation, right? So, if you you extrapolate all those savings across a community of a hundred buildings or a couple hundred homes, we're talking millions of dollars of savings and, and tons and tons of GHG savings, um, just from the simple decision to move from R18 to R50 walls.
0: Yeah, I don't know anybody who wouldn't like $500 a year more in their pockets. So that seems like a, a, a simple answer. <laughs>
1: the, the thing people don't often talk about actually is, is you really extend the life of your HVAC system too, because um, it doesn't work as hard right? It's, it's not, uh, it's just like um, any machine, right? It, the less, obviously, it's still going to be working, but the less you put it through, the less maintenance it's going to need and, and the less uh, wear and tear it's going to have, so.
0: One of the things that was shocking to me is uh, talking with some contractors, and they said, basically, for the money that most people put into these high-end finishes, I could build them a super efficient home that's going to save them tons of money over the long period, a long time we've taken up a fair bit of your time. Thank you so much for joining us today. That was really great, walking us through all of the basics around building envelope.
1: Thank you. No, it was it was a lot of fun, and I hope uh, I hope I provided some some insight. Um, I know that there's a lot to take in with respect to building envelope, but it's uh, it's an important component in your in your home, and although it's not the flashiest, it's uh, it's something to not forget about.
0: And a big thanks to Mark Jackson from EnviroMatic Centre Vision. Uh, They're a BC-based energy advisor and service organization, and they were instrumental in helping us with developing this podcast content. And to your listeners for taking time in your day to learn more about building envelope construction and how to incorporate more energy efficient options. We hope you found this helpful and perhaps have a few new ideas to bring into your work. In our next episode in the technical series, Adam will be back to walk us through energy efficiency options for improving existing building envelopes. For more information on the Home Energy Save Program or to download the next podcast in this series, please visit Fraser Basin Council's website and the First Nations Home Energy Save webpage. We also find a companion resource for this podcast with visuals and links to incentive programs and resources available to Indigenous communities in British Columbia. You can also sign up for their newsletter to learn more about the training opportunities and new support programs as they become available. This podcast has been developed by SES Consulting, as part of Fraser Basin Council's First Nations Home Energy Safe program. The program is sponsored by the Province of British Columbia, BC Hydro, Fortis BC, and the Real Estate Foundation of BC. Production by Aaron Trazo of Bird Media.